Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment, visit our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where you will find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now we dive into today's episode. Our listeners have told us that there is no shortage of demand or interest in how to create revenues and success using the Amazon selling platform and other tools available from Amazon. So we have a special treat for those of you who are interested. This is somebody who has created the largest Amazon seller meetup group in the world. He's gone from elementary school dropout to nine-figure virtual CEO with a 242-person VA team. Wow, talk about scaling and leverage. He ripped off on Alibaba to success, or he rather went from, ripped off on Alibaba to successful seven-figure exit in 18 months selling live insects. Wow. Mr. X here, our mystery guest, is got quite a story for you. So let's introduce him. His name is Carlos Alvarez. He's a, excuse me, a successful Amazon retailer, and he created an organization called Bluebird Marketing Solutions that empowers online sellers with the techniques he learned over 14 years. He's also the founder of Wizards of Amazon, a frequent keynote speaker at events and conferences, and Meetup's first city organizer. Alvarez was recently featured in Miami Herald and the Washington Post. Carlos Alvarez, come on in. The weather's fine. How's it going, Adam? How are you doing? Thank uh, you. That's living, an amazing intro. Living larger in charge. You know, just reading about this guy, I'm thinking, am I even qualified to be in the same room with him? And it's my interview. My show. <laughs> <laughs> what we like to do here at Business Creators Radio, and our listeners who tune in every week know this, is I give off the official bio information. Yours is particularly impressive and intriguing with a lot of little spoiler alerts in it. And before we dive into the many great tips, tactics, and pieces of know-how you have for our listeners today, what we want to do is take a quick step back and get to know Carlos Alvarez, the man, a little bit more. I gave some allusions to little pieces of your life story, but tell us more about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Absolutely. Thank you, Adam. Um, I, I'm I accidentally fell into this, this Amazon and, and successful entrepreneur thing. Uh, I think the beginning of this would be me, elementary school dropout, and just just taking the path of what you would imagine someone as an elementary school dropout would take. I fa fast forwarding to let, let's call it my early twenties, and I, I began getting jobs that someone who drops out at elementary school would get, whereas my peers were beginning to. Um, go to college, graduate from college, and um, go on to get, you know, much more illustrious uh, jobs that paid more. Uh, I, on the other hand, just got odd and end jobs, had an expensive ex-girlfriend, which constantly found me trying to buy her things and, and 
when I wasn't working these odd and end jobs, I'd go unload trucks, I'd degree stores. I was just constantly working. Well, I was never lazy to, to say that. Um, fast forward again now to 2005, 2006. Okay. And um, same expensive ex-girlfriend. And I, <laughs> I, 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 at this point I'm working as a, as a dairy clerk in Publix. I'm selling cigars. I'm delivering subs. And I'm also, I had just discovered something called eBay and a lot of people were doing it at the time. It was something very new to me. I found this product. I don't recall what it was. I, I list it. It sells. I get paid. I get a positive review and I was absolutely hooked on the experience. I began finding anything I possibly could around the house. Um, I also, I recently get my GED at around that time, my general equivalency diploma and I start finding odds and ends around the house, garage sales, stuff like that. Anything I can get my hands on to list on eBay and sell. And, and, okay. and the, getting, the gettings were good. As my, my sales and my profits would increase from doing that, I'd begin dropping these other jobs like delivering subs, the, uh, the dairy clerk, until I was doing this full time. Right around the time of just going 100% selling on eBay and beginning to flirt with Amazon, I had discovered Alibaba and, and, and this was, this is really important as to how I become who I am today. Right. And that is I found this one really small item, um, adult novelty item actually. And I was getting it for 16 cents and I was selling it for 20 something dollars and I just couldn't get enough of them. So my friends and family see that uh, I'm, I'm actually going somewhere that I'm doing some entrepreneurial things and they decided to invest in me. They pulled together about $81,000 and um, invested in me and my business. I immediately decided, well, I'm going to buy the thing that is the most profitable for me. I'm going to buy $81,000 worth of this adult novelty and I'm going to sell it online and I'm going to be rich. So I, I contact my suppliers on Alibaba. A guy named Elvis works at a factory called uh, Pleasure Chest and I wanted to buy $81,000 of this product from him. They obviously do not stock that much in stock. So I felt, I didn't know that in my ignorance, I assumed that factories just had, you know, just warehouses upon warehouses <laughs> yeah. waiting to ship. And with no, no idea that that wasn't the case, I get offended and I look for somebody else on Alibaba who does have everything in stock ready to ship. You know, I didn't want to delay. So I found someone who went by the name of Usman Sise at a factory in Hong Kong and I sent him everything and he stole everything. He stole everything from me. Um, the factory didn't exist. There's no factories in Hong Kong. They're in mainland China. A simple Google search could have debunked all this. But I, in my ignorance, I sent the money, sent it to a personal account. He stole everything from me. I never get that money back. But, but the important thing here was that I also, I was accustomed to being broke. There was no lifestyle change that was going to happen because that money disappeared. But what I could not tolerate is I didn't want to go back to being looked at as the, the elementary school dropout that was going nowhere. I liked this look that I was being given of entrepreneur success. And I decided not to tell anybody I got ripped off. I began trying to sell some of my very little possessions to get some seed capital to start back up and, and make payments on what I owe. Two of the things I went to go sell were a Burmese Python and a Colombian red tail boa. And the person in front of me in line holding each one in a pillowcase a person in front of me in line is paying $25 for 50 live worms. 
in front of me and, and, uh-huh. and teary, teary eyed. I'm just like, I'll dig. I don't care where the, where, where do worms live? I'll dig all day to, to get $25 for 50 worms. And this, this lands me in a public library with an article from a zoologist saying that zoos could save money by breeding insects instead of paying top dollar on the private market to feed their reptiles. I transition, as crazy as this sounds, it was a crazy time and I was broke. I transitioned into breeding insects. Now, uh-huh. this, isn't as e- this isn't as easy as it sounds. So I couldn't even afford the bins to put the insects in. So I scoured garage sales, paying pennies on the dollar to get these bins and slapping them together to create these, these systems or these breeding systems for these insects. Fast forward another uh, nine, 10 months, and I get a knock in the middle of the night from code enforcement on my door. At this point, just in crickets alone, uh, I'm doing cricket, crickets, feeder worms, super worms, Jamaican crickets. Just at this point, 3.5 million crickets, when they all go off, it's deafening. And I'm in a residential neighborhood. And for code enforcement, I don't know what it's like where, where, where you're at, but if they're working at night, a lot of things have gone wrong for that to happen. Uh-huh. And, I bluff them. They want me to throw it outside in front of the house. And I was like, look, this many insects, it'll be an agricultural disaster. Let me do something else. The, they go for it. The next day, a friend of mine had half a warehouse I can get for a couple months for free. Fast forward 10 more months. And oh, I immediately start selling the live insects on Amazon and eBay at about 1,000 insects a box live. And fast forward about 10 more months, and I'm approached and my company is purchased for $2.6 million. So th- that's, that's my as fast talking as possible origin story to <laughs> my first success that really just exploded everything for me um, online. You know, I've never really been a big fan of the word dropout. Uh, I mean, I've, I've never quite understood what that really meant. I, I view it as kind of a pejorative candidly. So I don't think you're somebody who's necessarily a dropout. I don't know the story behind what, you know, became the end of your education. So I'm not presupposing anything. But what I also heard in your story is how, because this label of dropout was applied, you were essentially limited in the opportunities that were immediately available to you, number one. Uh, And number two, that that perception continued to sort of hang over you, even as you look to strike out on your own. That's what I picked up. And you know, correct me if I'm interpreting your story incorrectly, but that's what I gathered. Uh, no, you're you're absolutely you're absolutely yeah. right. And yeah. and and I'm thinking when they say, "Well, he dropped out of elementary school. She dropped out of high school." Well, what does that mean? Dropped out? Does that mean that they failed out, or does that mean that they said? peace out. I'm done with this BS. I got better things to do with my life. Uh, or could, does it possibly mean that they tested out early? Uh, I've, I actually saw that one time, somebody be co- being called a dropout. The actual reality was, is they figured out the system long before anybody expected them to. And they recognized that in their locality, all they really had to do to fulfill their educational requirement was take a test. So they said, you know, I'm not sitting around for this for three years. Give me the damn test. I'll pass it. And they passed it and they got their certificate and they were done with their mandated education. But they were called a dropout because they didn't just sit there for three years when they had better things to do with their life in their view. No, I had never heard of uh, that, that interpretation of it, but that's, that, that's very true. In, in my case, um, in my case, it definitely wasn't. I just took the test 
and was able to move on. In my case, I just uh, very rebellious at an early age, very disruptive household, uh, abusive household. And, and I just walked out of the end of the third grade or the beginning of the fourth grade one day. Your parents drop you off. You're supposed to walk into class. I, I walked to the front of the class, sat my bag down, and I just kept walking. I, I don't really know where I was intending to go, but I wind up uh, using the few dollars I have to get this you know, purple glitter worm and a, some fishing line and yeah. jumped the rocks to a golf course and went fishing. Hey, uh, so you put up the gone fishing sign and you moved on. Literally. I, 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 I do not mean to make light of that, but uh, you mentioned going fishing and, you know, the old gone fishing. That's another way of saying uh, peace out on all this. I got better things to do. Um, again, again, I'm not trying to misinterpret or anything like that. And I invite you to correct me uh, anything I see. But it just when you told your story, I just kept thinking, here's yet another case of somebody who because of something that either happened to him or happened of his volition early on in his life was put in this category where he, where some folks were looking at it without having any facts. And you know, I didn't have any facts either and saying, this is a less than somebody who can only, or is just. And what inspires me about your story is how you transcended all that and managed to create levels of success that have, uh, you know, gotten you all kinds of things. And now you're on the business creators radio show. I mean, how can you do any better than that? That's bucket list. <laughs> Check that on the bucket list. Yeah. All right. So when you and I were chatting in the green room and in our dialogue leading up to having you on the show today, uh, I was basically advised that I have a few questions to run by you. And then the idea is I ask the questions and then we sort of turn you loose. So uh, there's one, it's at the very top of the list here. So this is one of those ones where I'm going to ask what it is. And even in the notes, it says there are lots of them, trust me. So uh, tell us, Carlos, about some of your key lessons you learned from your entrepreneurial journey. We got uh, a piece of your journey so far. Now let's deal with the entrepreneurial side and some of how you've applied that to create your success. And then we'll, get, we'll bring that in a little more specifically and speak about Amazon and things like that. Oh, I, I love the question. You're definitely going to have to rein me in on this one because I, I believe I've successfully done everything, air quotes here, wrong that you can do in your business. Right. Um, b besides the obvious one, which would bore everybody, like know your numbers or something like that, um, the, the two that stand out the, the greatest to me, because I definitely didn't know my numbers. Uh, I, I distinctly recall one time being told, Car Carlos, you, you don't, you're not making money, you're moving money. You're very good at moving money. <laughs> so yeah. two, two huge things I learned. Um, one I wish is that I would have read the book, um, The Founder's Dilemma by Noah Wasserman when, when I first started. I wish somebody would have forced me to sit down and, and read this book because I, anytime I had an idea, and 15 years later I've, I've learned that I'm blessed with a lot of great ideas. I, I lacked the confidence to pull the trigger on my own. I needed this validation from um, several other people. And I would then convince those people to become equal business partners with me. I didn't understand um, how business should be structured. Um, I didn't understand org charts and accountability. Um, and what this did is I, I pulled in some of the closest people to me into what could only be 
a recipe for failure. Um, no checks and balances, no rules, no agreements going in. It, it created a toxic, abusive environment of where I had the really strong work ethic. I had the idea and they didn't. And, and then I began to, uh, I began to get bitter about that. Um, and then when I confronted them, it just got really toxic. And the founder's dilemma just, just did an amazing job at breaking down, I feel how, how businesses should be set up or, or how to structure agreements going in. Right. Uh, that, that would be one. Um, the next major one for me was, I have to, I don't know who said this saying, but uh, it takes a village. Uh, and that's, that just couldn't be further from the truth. The, when I sold that first business, I, I, I just, I, I don't know what kind of words you can use on this podcast, but I lived life to the fullest in, in, in Miami, Florida, where I'm from. I just yeah. I had never had money and I just decided to enjoy it. And everything so, 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 it, so you went batshit crazy on a spending spree. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. So, 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 our so listener, yeah, the, yeah. Very quickly. Our listeners know I drop at least one on every episode and our studies of listener behavior, particularly in terms of our audience indicate that a lot of our most avid people who tune in every week stream episodes of business creators radio in the background while they're doing something else. And I know cause I stream podcasts in the background while I work and I stream music and, uh, and events and things like that. And I know that if uh, I'm focused on my work, you, you know, it eventually starts to sound like the, the teacher on peanuts. So I'll say, I'll say something or my guests will say something, get everybody to sit up and say, Whoa, what they said, what now they're tuned in again. <laughs> Yeah. So go ahead. Yeah. So, so I went, I went batshit crazy. I hoard around Miami <laughs> and, and I, I got, to a, I got, I got to a point where I realized that uh, not by myself, mind you, with a lot of people sitting me down and said, you're going to be broke next year. Yeah. And, and that, that's when I said, well, that, that can't happen. We're not, that's not an option. And I just doubled down and went into what I only thing I had proven to be successful at, I felt to date, which was Amazon and eBay. I, but to the other, to the other lesson that I, that I really learned was that um, when I sold that business and I realized I only had a year left of, of, of runway, financial runway, I hired two coaches and, and it was one of them was a, a coach that had to do with organizational skills. Yeah. I wasn't re I wasn't ready for that. She was beautiful. We started a relationship. There was no organization and it went downhill. But the other coach that I hired uh, coach from afar is what I like to call it was a, was a gentleman by the name of Chris Ducker. And okay. I learned everything that I needed to build a foundation for virtual assistance and virtual teams. It wasn't just virtual assistance. It was really, this is not something you should, or maybe is possible to do all by yourself. And that other person or that help on your team does not have to be in the form of a business partner. And uh, that, that was a, that was the small hinge that swung the big door for me. And uh, I, I think I went $40,000 in with Chris Ducker uh, worth, worth 400,000 in my opinion. I know he yeah. doesn't do that anymore, but I know you can get everything he said for like 10 bucks in a book now, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, the, what is it? Um, uh, virtual, virtual freedom. So yeah, yeah, I, I'm familiar with the name Chris Ducker, and I have seen the book. Um, I probably should read it sometime. Yeah, absolutely amazing, huge game changer for me. So it takes a village, and um, the power of creating processes, uh, working more on your business and less in your business, um, 
th- that sort of thing. So that th- those would be the top two lessons for me. All right. That's, that's quite something here. Um, so I'd like to go a little bit further since we mentioned the virtual thing. I think this is a great transition to the next point that you want us to bring up. And this has to do with building processes and being the virtual CEO of an army of brilliant VAs. I mean, we know people that would like to build a team of five. I do virtual team building uh, for my clients. And most of the teams that I deal with usually have between two and seven people. So we're talking about smaller businesses and we're dealing with uh, truly virtual teams. They're usually not even in the same state, often not in in the same time zone. And they're diverse in both time zone and work style. You put together a 242 person virtual assistant team. Most of those comp- most of those companies you pay to manage your virtual assistants for you don't have 242 employees. How did you do that? Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, but I'm pretty positive that exactly what what you're what you're what you're saying. You know, a, a team of five to seven. That's pretty much what I have across over 50 businesses. And when you multiply that out. You, it translates into that large number. Uh, and the reason uh-huh. I structured it that way is because I, I sold some businesses early on. And when I sold the business, I lost the virtual assistants that were part of that business in the sale. And I realized towards the end that that was going to happen and realized I wouldn't have sold for that amount if I was going to lose so-and-so, or they would have had to have given me a lot more than that. So what I did was I, I created, I knew that I was going to keep creating businesses and I knew that it, under the right circumstances, I would sell them. So I didn't want to lose my team every time. What I do is I created a business that is the business that pretty much houses and trains. I don't offer this as a service. They're, they're all in-house, but so that when I open other businesses, they're paying my initial business for the services of the VAs. Uh-huh. And so, so I did that. And when I did that, I needed to also have different VAs for each businesses. Uh, I had different business partners. The, the only thing in common with these other businesses from pet grooming stores, car washes, dance studios, uh, service businesses, physical product businesses, all these different ones, I'm the only common denominator. But half the yeah. time, my other partners don't even get along with each other. So we can't share a, v, a full-time VA. Oh, been there, done that. Go ahead. Right. So, um, I, I probably also deal with less virtual assistants than most people do that have five to seven VAs. I very early on, I, I start with like a, like a GVA, like a general virtual assistant, yeah. um, get a, get a project manager involved or an executive assistant, uh, virtual assistant involved to really act as a buffer. Um, and then I structure my VAs vertically. So I'll have four C-level virtual assistants, six to eight M-level manager-level virtual assistants, and all the rest of the other virtual assistants are structured in pods with team leaders. So yeah. team leader speaks to M-level, M-level, C-level, and I only deal with the four C-level VAs. Uh-huh. So it, it allows me to five to seven VAs, if you're dealing with every single one of them, that's a full-time job. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. Um, I... You know, what I'm thinking about here, and this actually leads to a follow-up question, 
years and years ago, I earned a, I owned a web development firm. Now I'm not a web designer. I can't draw a roller with a straight line and <laughs> I can't even get that metaphor right. Uh, but I, when I went into entrepreneurship, I had all these, uh, hey, would you build my website for me opportunities? And I found a couple web designers who were good at their craft, and we got together, and, and uh, I started uh, marketing their services. So they became virtual assistants, and we needed virtual assistants to assist the virtual assistants, and we needed uh, somebody to manage me, and then somebody to manage my client relations. You can see how this started to balloon mm -hmm. and spiral. What I could never get past in this business, and this is why I ended the business ultimately, is I had way too many clients that refused to understand they were dealing with a firm and would actually go so far as to intentionally cut their assigned project manager out of communications and insist on only dealing with me. And I just really got tired of forwarding it back to their PM and saying, okay, this person tried to then run you again, deal with them. It got yeah. tiring. So the reason I bring this up, Carlos, is you have made this type of model work. I was unsuccessful making the model work for me. I don't know if it was because I was in a service-based business that was driven by a human figurehead as far as the marketing, which is what my business was. Uh, and maybe your business has a different type of brand to it. Maybe it's an, a company, an organization, um, a brand with uh, a bespoke name like Google or Starbucks or something like that. I, you know, what are your thoughts on how to actually make that model apply where customers, you know, the, your, your top marketing guru, your paying customer, uh, recognizes you're dealing with an organization and uh, don't constantly try and bypass that whole thing and deal only with Carlos Alvarez? That's, that's an amazing question. I, I feel like I do a really good job of that, but it, by far it's not 100%. Yeah. And I, I think that goes back to not every relation. Well, it'd be kind of like if I said, or if I asked you, I think, if um, what's the one line I can say to always get that, that person to say yes to go on a date with me? Um, and there isn't because everyone is not for everyone. Right. So those, those clients, even after you've done everything within reason to communicate to them that this is an organization. And in my case, I'll even add, um, I, I, I truly strive to hire people smarter than me, which yeah. is not that hard actually, but much smarter than me. And, and I feel that in the introduction that when we're talking into the organization, it's my responsibility to really magnify that this is the smarter person, not just in words. Uh, I'll, I'll in front of the client defer to some of the stuff they're talking about. Uh, instead yeah. of saying the answer, I'll ask them what are their thoughts. So I, I try to position it to where in the client's mind, um, they would rather speak to this other person than me because the other person is actually per is actually the person with the hands on who knows how to do it um carlos is the deal maker the person you're having to work with is the deal is is the analogy that i was taught years ago Cor correct so in some businesses that yeah that's exactly right everyone has every business has a little different of a tweak but but absolutely and that if after all of that that we've done they're still end running or whatever the correct terminology is the the pm to me or to whoever was the successful salesperson to bring them on, 
um, then that person's just not for us. Right. Um, I ultimately decided that entire entire model wasn't for us, uh, or for me rather, because you know for though you know for the type of like marketing work that that ultimately evolved into, because it kind of moved away from web design in the end. Uh, I moved that in and uh, repositioned it as website conversion consulting, and then I moved it and repositioned it into small business consulting uh, from a more generalist point of view, with marketing as just one of the components. What I discovered through all those threads is there, I, just for me, I like being hands-on myself with a few select clients because I really enjoy doing this stuff. I also know that's not a leverage business, which is why I'm in the process of developing other lines of business that are more leverageable and ultimately more saleable. Because I get the idea that if you have a drywall business and you're the guy that hangs the drywall, if you're unable to hang the drywall, there's no more business. Mm-hmm. I get that. So I know there's a piece of my business that without me would cease to exist. So rather than say, oh, that's a bad thing and I can't do that. That's, that's no leverage. I say, all right, so I'm, I've grown this one thing that I enjoy doing about as far as I'm going to grow it. And too bad, so sad. That's as big as it gets. If one client leaves, maybe I'll let another one in. I don't know. Uh, if I find somebody exceptionally wonderful that I just love to work with, maybe I'll, you know, lift the 10th flap just for them. But outside of that, any growth area is going to be in leverage businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's an amazing uh, approach towards it. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's so far, uh, the way things are evolving is seeming to working to be working for me. So I appreciate your insights on, especially you revealed to us a bit of your structure and sort of drew a visual map for us where we can see the little boxes uh, with the C's and the M's and you have the pods with the circles, uh, the big circle with the little circles around it. I mean, I envisioned it looking like a map. It's like I actually saw it forming in my mind like one of those uh, office plans while you were describing it. So you're very visual with that and it was very clear, at least to me. So what we want to do now is tell us a bit about your insights on what enables somebody to successfully meaning profitably, sell on Amazon. We got a lot of people tuning in that want to sell on Amazon, sell on Amazon, sell on Amazon, which is great. Now, what the hell does that mean? Absolutely. Um, the uh, First of all, I think many people fail or, or, or don't make those attractive enough profits on Amazon because they treat Amazon like a hobby. And if you do treat Amazon like a hobby, it will pay you like a hobby. Um, if you treat it like a business, it will indeed pay you like a business. Now there, there's many different ways to, to succeed uh, profitably. Um, and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about success on Amazon is profitably. So the, the way you approach it should be playing to your strengths. Um, I, I like to say that there's five, uh, paths, if you will, to selling on Amazon. Um, the two that I think would your, your listeners would, would most appreciate would be the, the private label and the wholesale sides of selling on Amazon. So I'll, I'll briefly touch on the other three models first. All right. And, and that is first one's arbitrage. First one's kind of where I started. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a shockingly uh, exciting, amazing model that's out there. And it really blows new sellers away. Um, when they start, it's the easiest one to get into. You start it with like 50 bucks 
And I encourage a lot of people to at least begin there for a few weeks so that you can learn the ropes on Amazon. Uh, I don't think people should jump, just jump to dropping 30, 40, 50, 60. And I've heard of more thousands of dollars into ordering something from China. And then when it's on the water thinking, okay, now how do we sell this? Like that's, that's a problem. <laughs> so starting with arbitrage and how that works is uh, just the arbitrage principle is, you know, someone on the east side of the city is selling oranges for a buck. Somebody on the west side is selling them for two bucks. And you know of that price difference and you buy it at a buck and you sell it to the other person for $1.50 to where everyone here can turn a profit and, and you, took, you turned a profit based on knowing the price differences, that would be arbitrage on Amazon. And exactly what it looks like on the retail side is the Amazon seller app will allow you to go in any store and scan the barcodes of products. And you will see, for example, this product on the shelf is selling for $9, but on Amazon right now, selling 100 units a day, it's selling for 30 so you're buying the products right there in your local stores and you're just putting them in a box. I'm glossing over a lot of the, the, the little sure. details on this, but you're sticking it in a box and you're sending it to their fulfillment centers. Amazon is then shipping them to the customers and you're getting an email every time it sells and making um, a profit. Um, on that difference in pricing. And the reason for the difference in pricing is not everybody lives by, a, let's just say, Trader Joe's, or not everybody lives next to a, a Toys R Us, may they rest in peace. Like not everybody, yeah. you know, not everybody did that. And when you have the choice of, do I drive two and a half, three hours to the store to get this thing that, you know, little Johnny wants, or do I just get two-day delivery and watch Netflix in the meantime, instead of a three hour drive, a lot of people opt for that, that ordering online and they see it as a convenience. So that's retail arbitrage. You're, you're going into stores. It's very tedious, very time consuming. And you're scanning products, looking at what the app says your profit margin is and sending it into Amazon. Now yeah. online arbitrage is doing the same thing, but using tools online. In this case, you're going to you know, any website really, um, hitting a button on a Chrome extension, it's scraping the store, comparing, getting those products, comparing it to it on Amazon and showing you after fees, which one of them could you buy and get free shipping on and then send to Amazon in turn to turn a profit. Again, very, very attractive to a lot of people in and outside of the US. For people that want to sell in the U.S. that are outside of the country, it's very easy to use this and then have these products shipped to a prep center where the prep center can in turn send it into FBA and they can in turn make profits. So, so that's, that's arbitrage, the 50,000 feet view. Um, the other two models before getting into the, the ones I think would be most uh, interesting on this show are sure. both a print-on-demand version or arm of Amazon. Um, one of them is called oh. Merch by Amazon and the other one is called KDP. It used to be called Create Space and KDP, which is- Well, uh, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy, is on KDP. And a few weeks ago, I know I was late to the party, my friend. I migrated from Create Space to KDP and they put me through the uh, ringer of, oh, we have to approve it again. I'm thinking, oh, okay. Oh. Meanwhile, that's usually just a formality. Sorry, I had to interject it's there. Yeah, KDP, I'm thinking, yes, this is the one to put me on the map. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just absolute game changer. I, uh, example I'd like to give, well, really quick. So Merch by Amazon. Yeah. You, this is 
I can barely match my clothes. My, my wife would attest to this. I have no sense of fashion. I, uh-huh. I don't know colors. I don't know any of that. So I'm not a designer either. But with Merch by Amazon, I can get some of my virtual assistants to create these designs. Imagine I love mom. I hate mom. I love school. I hate school, whatever. And you drag and drop these designs on top of shirt templates, add a title, two bullets, and hit enter. And now these shirts are available for sale on Amazon. You have no monthly fee. You don't need to do any advertising. And now people that are searching for what you've created on a shirt, find your shirt. They purchase it. You make a royalty. You don't do any shipping. You don't stock shirts. You don't do anything. And if you sell the shirt for maybe about $19.99, you might net like $6.50. So it's a huge win. Yeah. And once you start really adding a lot of designs, you, you don't need the designs to each sell that often to, to really do some damage passively and this yeah. <laughs> I, I very cumulative the word. Yeah. yes very cumulative um now now on the kdp slash create space world um really sky's the limit uh we have you know you you can record audio or sounds and publish them on dvds and you know digital downloads but an example i'd like to give here is a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend literally like that far along had a son who they said was going the wrong way fast and I they called me so I go I go see this this kid kids kids like nine so I I don't know how they determined he was going the wrong way fast but he was nine and he was just glued to this video game um Pokemon Go was the most annoying thing I had ever seen but Okay, so he's glued to this game, and I, I initially go in with, uh, hey, you want to create a YouTube channel, and I understand how that's a very lucrative thing, and maybe this will get his attention, and it did until he heard about the editing part of it and how I, you know, VAs were not exciting to him, and then I thought, you want to be an author? That got his attention. You know, his parents weren't authors. He could be an author. We grabbed Dragon Dictate, you know, uh, Nuance Dragon Dictate. Yep. I asked him a few questions. We caught the audio. We, we ran it through like um, an editor. We brought in Rev.com and a few other things. Next thing you know, we're uploading a, you know, beginner's guide to Pokemon Go. Keep in mind for anyone listening to this, we caught this at the sweetest spot in the very, very beginning. But within a month, it was doing about 80K a month on a Pokemon Go book. So then there was the, the Black Hat Guide to Pokemon Go, the Parents Guide to Pokemon Go. And, and this is a kid that he didn't write any of this. He just talked about the video game and about half the book was images of <laughs> how to install the game. So regardless of your business model, there is something for you there. Um, now, I do think you should put a lot of marketing into it. I do think there's a, there can be a lot more to it and it can be a much richer experience. But that's, again, a 50,000-foot view of both of those. Now, wholesale and private label. Wholesale is an amazing cash flow business on Amazon. So this is, you're going on Amazon, maybe using something like a rabbit hole method, and you're, you're looking for brands that are already selling already have established velocity. They have their pictures. They have everything, you know, the whole shebang. You are just looking at them and saying, okay, this is not a private label brand. This is not somebody that's selling this direct and is very like protective and wants nobody else selling this product. This is a brand that has six to eight sellers there already. It's not a household name, but, but you can see it's selling maybe 50, 60 items a day. And 
you're, you're using my most favorite tool out there in the world, Google, and you're just Googling the name of this brand, finding their website and contacting them and saying, hey, look, my name's so-and-so. I'm a small business from South Florida. I'm the best thing since peanut butter, yada, 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 whatever your story is. And asking if you can open an account with them to resell their product on Amazon. Mind you, they have no desire in most cases to sell D2C or Amazon as this really, really scary unknown for them. So they're happy that somebody will buy for them from them and resell it on Amazon. So, so that's the wholesale model. Right. Uh, biggest work there is actually finding and identifying the brands that you can contact. And finally with private label, uh, I don't know how we are on time. So I'm trying to, really we actually have things. plenty of time. We're doing, okay. we are being incredibly efficient here. Okay. Awesome. So with private label, and this is, this is 85% of my current um, revenues from Amazon are, are private label, 15% are wholesale. So private label, I feel is the most complicated um, model on Amazon in, in the sense of you can't just scan something in the store and send it in, or you can't just find something that's already selling and, and ask to piggyback and sell on it. You're truly creating something from nothing here. Um, you're, you're working with a factory to manufacture a product for you that has your brand on it. You're getting a trademark. Um, and yeah. where the, where the factory's at is, has nothing to do with it. Most of the time, Amazon sellers are, are ordering from, from Asia. And although that's starting to really, uh, uh, move around a lot more, but you're, you're, you're doing research ahead of time, hopefully, and you're determining what's selling. And if I was to enter this market and sell this, what would be so different about mine? Like why would someone buy mine if I have a Me Too product sitting next to three or four other products on the same product detail page on Amazon when somebody searches for it? So yeah. where, where I really set myself apart is most sellers, they'll just look online and they'll say, oh, there's this um, phone stand right there. Um, I looked on Alibaba and I found that same phone stand and, oh, wow, it's selling on Amazon for $10 and I can get it for a dollar from Alibaba. And they just go all in. They saw a really motivational webinar. They had some excess money on their credit card. You know, husband or wife says, yeah, go ahead. They buy it. And then they think, wait a minute, what are, what fees do Amazon take? <laughs> and yeah. Um, but yeah, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, going into KDP, for instance, I sell my book through that. Uh, my book is usually something like 2495, you know, the price goes up and down, but, uh, my royalties average about 10 bucks a book. How do I not know that you have a book? Like, I want to buy it. Like, what's the yeah. book? Uh, Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. www.thegroundhogbook.com. Uh, my show, I can give a little shameless plug there. And don't worry, we're going to let people uh, you know, learn more about you too, Carlos. Uh, but yeah, the point being, as I was bringing that up, is yeah, it's like a $25 book. And I get my royalties on average are about $10. On the plus side, I don't have to do anything. Uh, once they buy it through Amazon. And if I want to sell the book through my own website, I can literally just have an assistant take the receipts that come out of my shopping cart, log into my KDP account and say, send this book to this person and off it goes. Yeah, author copies, no? Yeah, I have author yeah. copies too. Uh, those, uh, what is my rate for that? Like five bucks a book or something? It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, I, I discovered this because I did some local book signings here in Las Vegas. 
Oh, I, I just I just jotted it down. I'm going to grab it. I don't know how I didn't know you, you you didn't have that you had that book out there. Well, I'm 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 happy to be of service. I hope you enjoy it. So anyway, back to you. Back to you. You're telling us some awesome things. So, so, okay. So with, with with private label, where most people would do is they get to that point and they realize uh-huh. the products on the way and they're saying, well, what is it? What Amazon has fees? What is this? Yeah. And, and Amazon takes about a third when you're using FBA. So a third's gone and they're looking at the number. Well, you know, that still leaves me two, three dollars. This is okay. And then they realize, well, I need to get pictures. I need to maybe get a video of my product. I need to craft the copy. This isn't something that I can just wing it on. You know, there's search engine uh, optimization. There's important keywords. Um, They realize they need to buy UPC codes. And then there's ads. They have to pay money for ads. And when they (laughs) figure it all out, they realize the product hasn't got here yet and, and they've lost two or $3 per sale. Yeah. Um, oh, I got, I got some things for you on this. Um, here's, here's a real big one is the video that you're going to use to virally promote it and hope the video goes viral. If you just stand in your living room you know, and say, here's my, here's my phone stand and I'm going to show you how I put a phone on it. Wow, that's almost exciting as watching paint dry. So, <laughs> exactly. if you want, so you're going to want, uh, particularly for that type of product, a state-of-the-art pro- uh, video. Uh, you're probably going to want to hire a model, perhaps a professional Instagram influencer who understands how this stuff works and will be able to give the type of in-your-face wow presentation about how your phone holder uh, is literally – the harbinger of Western civilization or whatever. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. I can give you a real quick example. And again, um, business creators radio show is nonpartisan. So this is not a political thing. I'm just bringing it up because I happen to know it's on the market. The Trumpy bear, which is a teddy bear with a comb over basically. Now <laughs> this is, I, I looked into this, and as best as I can figure out what the Trumpy Bear is, is somebody got the idea that for people who uh, like and support President Trump, they would like to have a teddy bear with a comb over. Uh, I imagine I, I actually own one. I had to buy it so I could have it for myself because <laughs> uh, I, I, I had to study it. I, I was looking at it from a marketer's perspective. And plus, uh, I counted his campaign memorabilia, even though it wasn't officially so. And I do collect presidential campaign memorabilia going back decades. So I'm studying this thing, and as far as I can tell, this is probably a standard teddy bear template that could have been found one of a hundred places. So they accessed the template, they added a comb over and a flag that comes out of the back. And I think it wears a red shirt, if I remember correctly, and uh, set up the template. So this could be basically done print on demand. Because once you order one, I believe it takes like a week uh, to 10 days to actually get it. So I believe they're mm-hmm. doing, so I believe they're doing POD. Now, this, this, bear, teddy bear, uh, this Trumpy bear was featured on those late night talk shows. Uh, I think it was mentioned on some major media news outlets. And what got the attention is has, in my opinion, the, the, the corniest, most out there promotional video about how this teddy bear is making America great again. <laughs> you, you have to watch this thing, and whether you whether you love or hate the concept or anything in between, you got to admit this this video is campy. But you can also tell that they invested in this and intentionally made it that way because their avatar research showed that people 
who would be likely to buy the thing would think it was so hilarious they'd have to have one for themselves. So my point being is you can end up spending a crap ton of money on your promotional video for your phone holder. Absolutely. It's yeah. not unheard of. Um, if you want to do something right to be spending a few thousand dollars, in, including your, your model, uh, your spokesperson. And this yeah. is, let's just say for one language in the U S um, Amazon's a very global platform. And if you want to sell in Europe, you want to sell in Canada, well, Canada wouldn't be an issue, but uh, Germany, for example, unless you want your, your video to look like some, a really bad ad lib or something you, or voiceover, you need to get it done in the other language as well with a different model. So it, it can be, there, there's a lot of hidden fees there um, before this product even gets there. So that's what most people do. What I do is if I looked at this phone case, I, I would go into all of the negative, I'd go into the reviews first. The reviews and the frequently asked questions that are available to everybody on the Amazon product detail pages. And I'll look at all of the reviews, especially the negative ones that, that speak to, you know, the ones that say great product, loved it, or this product sucks. I just disregard those. But the, the ones that, you know, several sentences or a few paragraphs long, I pay extra close attention to them and, and look especially for people that actually suggest how it could have been better. Yeah. It happens a lot. You know, the, um, you, you have a wine glass or a whiskey glass and um, a woman says it was way too big for my hand. Or we have a small little speaker and somebody says, can't listen to it in the bathroom because it's not waterproof. Or just just a bazillion different things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You look at the negative available. reviews cause those review the, cause those reveal the gaps. Yeah. Yes. So I'll, I'll, I'll get that information. Uh, I'll look for which ones are mentioned the most and then I'll contact the factory and I'll fix that part of the product. So I have something that is differentiated that I'm selling, not a me too product. What happens then is yes, I, I still have to get the photos. I still get a video. I still do all of that, but when it comes to the advertising portion of it, I'm not really fighting in that red ocean where everybody else yeah. is fighting. I've created this blue ocean. The blue ocean, yes. Yes. I've created this blue ocean for myself and I'm paying almost nothing for ads. I'm, I'm in a league of my own. And that's really where you can excel and, and make great profits on Amazon with private label products. Yeah. And, uh, and the way, and I love the way you've bifurcated and described these various ways of accessing the power of Amazon. And what I really want our listeners to gather, and this is very important, is, uh, you know, you watch a webinar, maybe even listen to this episode, and you think, oh boy, I can go sell on Amazon. I can go find something for a dollar and sell it for $10. That's not necessarily as cut and dried, because if it really was, everybody would be doing it. The thing is, is you want to listen to Carlos here and he will show you how to not be just anybody doing it and show you how to be effective, lucrative, and profitable in doing it. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to help here. So um, one more, you know, we have a time for one more question, I think. And this is, you know, stays on the Amazon thing. I think it's a natural lead up and also a great way for us to wrap up here is, uh, how to use off Amazon tactics, meaning outside the Amazon platform itself, to increase your chances of success 
on the Amazon platform. Oh, absolutely. That's, that, that's right there. Um, I, I, if I had secret sauce, that would be my secret sauce there. Uh-huh. And that is in, instead of being a, you know, a complete slave to Amazon PPC and, and fighting in that red ocean of Amazon, I, I spend a great deal of time as well once I've determined how to differentiate the product. But I spend a great deal of time as well figuring out how I, with my own terms of service, can reach buyers off of Amazon before I launch. So my, my most successful tactic that I've done is, uh, okay, I'm a Star Wars geek. Just All an right. absolute, just total fanatic. So it doesn't matter how crazy my day is going. If I'm scrolling across social media and I see something that says, test your knowledge of how much you knew Darth Vader, or if you were a Jedi, what color lightsaber would you have? I stop everything. Oh, you are in. All in. in. <laughs> I, I, got, I have to, and I'm hoping for a good color lightsaber. I'm hoping for a, a high score so I can share it with my friends. Well, well that's, that's, we're getting into trivia, quizzes, polls, and contests now um, across the web. This doesn't even have to be on social media. Pop up on your website, link on your email, many chat, whatever um, you feel strong at. Um, I, I use those. The foundation of, of what I do comes from uh, Ryan Levesque and uh, the ask method that, yep. that, that he talks about a lot. I don't use the tools that, that he references in the books, but that's the foundation of what I do. So I'll begin reaching out to my audiences through something like trivia, trivia or polls, something that does not require the person who does not know me or this cold audience to give me their email address. Something like what color lightsaber would you have if you were a Jedi? But obviously something relevant to um, to the niche. If I'm selling coffee and I know that the type of coffee I'm selling or the type of coffee accessories that I want to sell fall into the French press category, then that first one might be something like, you know, you know, test your, no- test your coffee knowledge, which, which of these famous people drank more coffee. And then I'd show five people and you pick one and you just see who was right, who was wrong. Maybe three questions like that. You know, once I see somebody has completed that based on, you know, Facebook pixels or whatever else I have embedded on the, on the trivia, I'll then turn around and say something like, um, what's your favorite type of coffee? Because this is important for segmenting now. You know, the people that are into instant are probably not going to be a good crowd for me to send my French press stories to. They, they don't Correct. have a French press. And I, I segment that way. And then depending on who... The, the people that are engaged with French press and French press is their, their, their mode of drinking coffee. Then I'll send them a contest, which might show uh, a person laying out on a sack of coffee beans that has just ruptured his coffee beans everywhere. And it will wow. say funny, funniest caption wins. And this, in this way you have to put your email address, you put your name and the funniest caption may win an Amazon gift card for two months of your favorite coffee. So that would be an example, one example of how I use off Amazon tactics to then find my audience and begin selling them my products that are on Amazon. See, and that's so straightforward and you're tapping into what passionately motivates people uh, regardless of whether they really should be taking quizzes online about Darth Vader. The fact is they're taking (laughs) quizzes online about Darth Vader. And if you're a star Wars guy and Darth Vader comes up, 
damn it, you are taking that quiz because you want to find out what color your lightsaber will be. That's, that, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, just, that's just happening. No matter what you should be doing at the time, whether it's listening to awesome podcasts like the Business Creators Radio Show or hosting webinars or structuring ads or doing more arbitrage or whatever it is, hey, Star Wars, lightsabers, Darth Vader, <laughs> R2-D2, yes. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, so I think, I think that's actually, as I predicted, a pretty good place to wind up. And what I gather from that is look at some of, you know, perhaps it's pop culture, perhaps it's interests that related interests your avatar will have and bring them into a conversation that they enjoy and move them toward your product. So now we're moving them into coffee, then we're finding out if they're the fresh pressed or, or the instant kind or French pressed or the instant kind or what have you. Now you're able to lead into ad segmentation, marketing segmentation, and more that will help you naturally lead people to your Amazon places where they can buy your stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's, I think that's pretty much in a nutshell. So we are near the top of the hour. We have two minutes left. I want to give one of those minutes to you. And for any of our listeners who are leaning in on the edge of their seats, wanting more about how do I really do this Amazon online selling thing, what do you have for them? Uh, I have a very active community um, that anyone interested can drop by and ask any questions they have. Uh, anywhere on social media at Wizards of Amazon. Um, Facebook group, which is very active, is uh, called Wizards of Amazon. Um, we also have an right. extremely active uh, Telegram chat community. 24-7, um, uh, advice I would give you is to turn notifications off when you join because otherwise it will <laughs> be dinging all day. And, and you can access that at amazongroupchat.com. And finally, I'm, I'm very open when I'm on a podcast. I... Text it works a lot better, but you can text me to 305-902-1283. All right. Well, Carlos, thank you so much for everything. And I've had so much fun with this. This has been an honor. An honor. I was about to say, great minds think alike, genius level. An honor <laughs> and believe me, an education, as I say at the close of every episode. So Carlos Alvarez of uh, Blue, excuse me, Bluebird Marketing Solutions.com. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. All right. And for everybody listening, I trust you've enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.